Well, good morning. And Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to share. I know that you and your family are watching online, so we uh, send greetings your way. And just want to take this moment now just to pray for our groups as it gets started. Groups have always been part of our vision and part of uh, the way we do a life together as a church. So let's pray and ask for God's blessing upon group life. God, this is a unique time for us as a church, and we're about to start new groups again. Lord, you've done so many important things over the years through groups, helping us to walk together as one. So do that work again. We ask and we pray. The vision for being a faith village comes from you and your word. So we pray with the assurance that this is something that you deeply care about. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, uh, both in person and online. Uh, today, I get the privilege of starting a new series. It's called Spiritual Recovery. We're going to be doing this series for the next two months. It's going to be one of our longer sets, and there's going to be a, a pack full of different ideas and thoughts that you will want to take with you through this season of life. I'm really excited to be able to introduce this. Now, if you've never heard of spiritual recovery before, I will take some time today to unpack the idea and help us to understand it a little better. So first of all, recovery is something that we know something about already. I mean, we do it every day when it comes to our devices, right? So we have phones, and our phones need, oops, they need to be recharged. They can't go on and on forever and ever without being uh, plugged in, so sometimes we need a moment at the end of the day to get that thing going. Uh, some of us have better phones that last a little longer. Some of us with older phones realize that these phones can't even last a day without being recharged. But that's the thing. We need times for these batteries to be refreshed. Our phones are finite objects that have finite power, and they need a power source. Likewise, some of us are into a lot of exercise, and you know that you can't just exercise forever and ever. You need time for recovery, time to take a break, and time for your body to heal. found this awesome graphic that helps us understand what recovery looks like in the cycle of exercise. You exercise too frequently, and you actually start to deteriorate your body and not have enough time for things to heal. But if you have adequate rest, and rest doesn't just mean not exercising or just sitting on the couch, although that's pretty good too. Um, recovery, good recovery, takes into consideration your sleep, what you eat, your diet, your nutrition. All these factors play a part in it. So before the pandemic, I used to swim three times a week. I say this before we got our dog. And so that it was part of my rhythm to do this all the time. And I could tell if I didn't have a good night of sleep or if I ate junk food all, all throughout the day and really didn't prepare for the workout, I would poop out. You know, I would run out of steam. I couldn't swim as far. My arms would get tired faster. And it was a really interesting measuring stick to know that I was actually more tired than I really was or that I realized. Well... In the spiritual life, the same is true. Our spirits, our human spirits need time to recover. And if you've been in a time of 
a lot of stress, if you've been carrying a load, a heavy emotional load, or maybe you've been doing a lot of output in your life, there will also need to be time for your spirit to recover some of that energy. And when we go through difficult challenges, it is important for us to realize where we might be on the scale of tiredness because some of the effects of not taking care, some of the consequences of not taking care of ourselves well during our tired phases can be pretty devastating. It can lead to the danger of burnout. Now, here's the interesting thing about spiritual recovery. A lot of us understand recovery when it comes to our objects and our physical bodies, but I've noticed over the years as I've talked to colleagues, as I've observed other pastors, and I've observed people even here at Access, that spiritual recovery is not a thing for them. They may know it intellectually, but they don't practice it. Or that they know they need to slow down, but they never really do. And the danger of that, as we'll discover throughout this series, are pretty dire. So what I'd like to do today is three things. I'm going to talk about the warning signs of burnout, first of all. Then I'd like to take some time to go into our anchor passage for the series. So it will come out of the Gospels as we turn to look at what Jesus has to say about it. And then I'd like to pray together as a church to facilitate a time uh, of practicing the presence of God. So throughout this series, what I'd like to do is introduce different practices that will help you to more better um, get into recovery, if that makes sense. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the warning signs of burnout. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I discovered this article online by a guy named Kerry Newhoff, and he talked about the signs of burnout. In fact, these are the things that he experienced as he himself went through a deep time of burnout. Now, if you've never heard of his name before, uh, if you've never heard of him as a, a writer, a blogger, um, he's a really interesting guy. He was a pastor uh, of a church in Canada for many years. He later transitioned into blogging and writing books and helping people with leadership and church function. Uh, really bright guy and able to articulate things well. And here's a picture of him. So this is the name of the article. You can look it up later yourself if you want to go deeper into it. 11 signs, you're more than tired, you're burning out. And yes, that's how you pronounce his name, Newhoff. Okay, so what I'd like to do is go through these 11 things briefly. Now, let me also talk a little bit about his story to help you understand where he's coming from as he teaches this. He writes about his own burnout. As a Christian, I kept praying and reading my Bible. I never lost my faith. I just couldn't feel it. People who weren't that close to me didn't realize it was happening, because that he was burning out. But I knew something inside of me was broken, and I didn't know how to fix it. My speed decreased to a snail's pace. Hope felt like it had died. My motivation and passion dropped to zero. Make that zero Kelvin. Kids, if you don't understand that, ask your parents later. But zero Kelvin is super cold. <laughs> so basically what happened with Carrie Newhoff is as he was busy caring for other people, 
he emotionally burned out. He didn't care for himself. He didn't know how to do it. And he described it almost like a cliff that he could see in the distance. He was rushing toward this cliff, but he was powerless, in a, in a sense, to do anything to change it. Now, in the past, he had seen this cliff before, made course adjustments, and was able to turn around. But this time, everything was different, and he burned out for a couple of years. Here's that description. I mean. And one of the fears that he realized during this time was that he was in the same position as some of his peers, some of his colleagues. And the fear was that if he didn't turn around, he might end up like some of them who, after burning out, never made a real recovery. In fact, either quit the ministry or quit their ministry, whatever they had been doing before, and never quite returned to the state in which they were functioning before. So a real fear for him. Now, let me also say, before we get into the 11 signs, I know there's a lot of pre-work, but one more thing here. There are two different ways to listen to this message and to this series as a whole. First of all, you might be in this position where you're feeling tired yourself. And maybe burnout is a, is a real potential problem for you. And I want you to know that this series is designed for you to listen carefully, to be able to understand that there are some real ways to find hope and healing, joy and love again. There are some really good things in Scripture that we're going to discover together. So I want you to know that there's a lot of grace and compassion for you. The second way that you might be listening to this series is that you might be doing great. You're feeling on top of the world. You're ready to do a lot of things. You feel very energetic in your spiritual life. And you're thinking, well, how is this going to apply for the next few months? And I want you to listen with a certain set of ears, most especially for your neighbors. This is a difficult time for many people. We're going through uh, additional load with the COVID virus and the Delta variant. We're uh, seeing national, uh, international tragedies from uh, earthquakes in Haiti to some of the tragedy unfolding in Afghanistan, it's difficult to walk through life and not feel discouraged. And maybe during this time, it is important for you to pay attention to your friends, to family members, maybe to someone who needs a listening ear, someone who needs a helping hand, someone who needs a friend to walk closely by them. God may be calling you to do just that in this season. We are a faith village. We walk into this thing together. And this idea of spiritual recovery is not just for individuals. It is for our church. And so together, we might journey uh, more deeply and more strongly together. So, okay, with all that out of the way, let's get into these 11 signs. Number one, your passion the faith. Now, passion is one of those things that ebbs and flows throughout everyone's life. You all, we don't live at 100% passion all the time. Uh, we, it's not possible to do that. It's not healthy to do that. But when you go through a time of burnout, passion kind of disappears, and you can't seem to get it back. You can't find it. And the things that you were passionate about before don't seem to have the same resonance with your soul. Some of us have gotten into things in life, such as 
teaching, leading, uh, doing stuff in ministry because we're passionate about it. But during times of burnout, that passion begins to fade. And that passion that once got you through the difficulty is no longer there. Number two, your main emotion is numbness. This is an interesting thing, and it's something that I can relate to when I've been very tired myself. That your emotions get kind of flat. You don't have the highs and lows anymore. You can't especially feel joy or sadness. And so things kind of, you look at it from afar, but they don't seem to reach down into your soul like they did before. Your main emotion becomes numbness. Now, this doesn't mean that all your emotions are gone. Number three, little things make you disproportionately angry. Now, this is really interesting. Um, Kerry Newhoff describes how in his own life, things that were just like usually minor irritants, like things at work, things that weren't completed on time, or things that were not living up to standard, which would usually register maybe a 3 out of a 10 scale for anger, all of a sudden they became like 11 to him, and he would blow up over the smallest thing. So things made him angry. Number four, everybody drained you. <laughs> now, this is an interesting statement. So we, as humans, naturally gravitate towards some people. We have some resonance with some people and friends. That's why we have closer friends and more distant friends, etc. But in the midst of burnout, something changes, and those relationships, all of them, begin to drain you. So even close friends, close family, people that you love normally begin to have the opposite effect. Number five, you're becoming cynical. Now, cynicism is an interesting kind of danger in itself, but it especially takes root during times of burnout. And cynicism is a type of attitude where you're always looking at people and guessing their motives and assigning motives to them, thinking that it's either pride or selfishness or some other kind of self-interested type of thing. So you get a gift and you second guess why it happens. Or, or you think that the worst is going to happen. You imagine things going to be always bad. Cynicism is a very difficult spiritual place to be in. It's hard to grow, um, but especially during burnout, it becomes more and more of a problem. Number six, nothing satisfies you. And in particular, what Newhoff is talking about here is that things that normally satisfy you, like a vacation or time spent with family or times to go out and enjoy a good meal, even the small things don't seem to resonate or bring that satisfaction. Nothing seems to work or bring relief. He describes even vacation times for him being draining and not being life-giving. Moving on, number seven. You can't think straight. Now, Newhoff in particular, what he's trying to communicate by this is that you're especially negative about yourself. 
you're self-condemning, you're thinking the worst about yourself, I'm a failure, I can't do anything right, I'll never do anything right, nothing is ever going to work again for me. These types of thoughts, this negative type of thinking, is thinking, it's not thinking straight. You're never in that situation. Life is never that bad for you. You have a God who loves you, who is near to you, who has planted his Holy Spirit in you and given you power and love and self-discipline. Number eight, your productivity is dropping. Some of us who love getting things done, doing many things in life, begin to struggle with the fact that we can't be as productive or we find ourselves mentally blocked from working. You're sitting at your computer and you can't seem to type for some reason. You'd rather browse and shop for a million things because work becomes dreadful and things that you used to find joyful in doing become difficult. Number nine, you're self-medicating. You're finding solutions to your pain in things like sex, alcohol, other addictions, things that really damage yourself. There's a difference between self-care and self-medication. And it's, uh, it's important that we here like to emphasize self-care. And it's so easy when we're in pain to self-medicate and find the things that may produce a quick hit of relief for us, but are actually taking us down a road that we don't want to go down. Number 10, you don't laugh anymore. Newhoff describes how when he started going into a time of burnout, he had stopped laughing. And one day he found something that did make him laugh and chuckle out loud, and he realized that it had been months before he was laughing. I think during this time, it's very similar to number one and two, when your emotions are kind of flat, you don't feel joy, you don't feel sadness anymore, you don't laugh either. And finally, number 11, sleep and time off no longer refuel you. So recovery becomes much more difficult. It's not like you can just get a good night of sleep and sleep it off and feel better. When you get into a time of burnout, when you begin to really burn out, sleep and time off are not enough to rejuvenate the soul. So, I know this list is a bit somber. It's a little bit sobering to kind of go through this. And I just want to lay this out here for a moment. There may be some of you who've listened to this list and you're thinking, gosh, you know, several of those things are very true of my life. Uh, Am I headed for burnout? And that's what this list is designed to do. It is meant to help stir your thinking in your heart to understand that you might be headed toward that same cliff that Newhoff was headed for. Now is the time to make those course corrections. Now is the time to start making spiritual recovery a priority so that you don't fall off into something much darker and much more difficult to recover from. All right, so now we move to our scripture for this passage, for our series. This is kind of like our anchor passage. So back in the first century and around that time, the ancient Jews used to carry on a practice known as the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And what they would do during this time is take a break from their regular work schedule. They stopped working, they would take vacation time, they would get together with family and with friends, and they would travel to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, they would build tents or tabernacles. I found this interesting picture of a modern version of that because it has some electric lighting in there. <laughs> but it looks pretty cool, right? So during this time, uh, they would stay in there and they would celebrate what God has done for them. Now, very interesting, during this time, during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, every day during this Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would take a jar and go down and get some water from a certain pool and bring it back to the temple. And behind him would follow crowds of people who were celebrating with him. They would sing psalms, they would pray. This was time to acknowledge God's goodness. It was a celebration as they would go to the temple and he would pour this into a bowl at the, at the temple to worship the Lord. Now, what was going on behind all this imagery and this celebration and this vacation time? Well, they were thinking about two things in particular. One, they were recalling a time when God had rescued them in the wilderness, in the desert, when they had come out of Egypt and through the desert. In Exodus, we learn about the time when the uh, ancient Jews had been rescued and liberated. And while they were walking through this desert experience, they ran out of water. They had nothing to drink. They got thirsty. It was a dry land and no water was in sight. So they began to complain to God. God, you led us out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into this desert. It's dry. There's no water. We're running out. Did you lead us here to die? And so God responds by bringing them water from a rock. That's not the actual rock. That's a place in Colorado that does have water coming out of a rock, but pretty cool to see that anyways. But they remembered and they recalled that God had once done this for them. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles, they knew that God had once given them water in the desert, and they celebrated that fact. There was something else going on at the same time. They were thinking about God's promises for the future. Because throughout the rest of the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, God said, hey, remember that time? Remember that time you were in the desert and I gave you water? I'm going to do it again. And streams of water are going to flow. They will flow into your soul. It'll be a time of refreshment for everyone and everything. Here's one of those passages out of Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So God said, what I did once upon a time for you, I will do again. But I will do it in a bigger and a greater way for you and for all your people and for the world around you. Now, you get all the tension that's there during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, 
we get to the passage that anchors our series. John chapter 7. Jesus walks into this moment. He is feeling all of this and seeing the people do this. And he says, on the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. This was an incredible moment. The people who understood Jesus in the moment were all of a sudden realizing this is the Messiah of God who's come to save us, who's come to fulfill the prophecies, who's come to offer us living water. And he's inviting us here in this moment to come and drink. This, Jesus is saying, come and I will have living water flow through your soul. The weight and significance of this promise is huge. And I want you to hear it fresh and anew because what Jesus is saying here in the gospel applies to you and your state of soul as well. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Oh, man. I love this passage. There's so much for us to unpack in the weeks to come. But I want you to know this, first of all. Some of you here, when you went through that list, you've been feeling that dryness. You've been feeling that thirst. And you are realizing that God has not been as central in your life as he has been in the past. If you are thirsty, come. Jesus is inviting you. There may be some of you here, and this is your first time hearing it, and this is new for you. Know that the invitation of Jesus stands to you too, and rivers of living water can flow within your soul so that you aren't thirsty, but you are serving and ministering out of love and grace, and that the people around you can feel that uplift because you are welling up with living water inside of you. Amen? I want to say a word here about shame and guilt before we get too far in this series. Right off the bat, I know there are some of you here today, as you go through this list, there's been a little voice in your head that's saying, hey, but good Christians, they don't burn out. Good Christians, they don't get all weary and tired. It's your fault. If you're like this, you've blown it. It's time to turn off that voice. It's time to just ignore it, put it aside, and listen to Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn us for our tiredness. We are human. We get caught up in the wrong things. We fail, we stumble, and we fall. But God will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus' invitation is for you.
Don't sit and condemn yourself. Come. Come experience living water. Come to Jesus. I'm going to invite Jessica to come up and lead us in some music as we enter into a time of prayer. So my goal in this series, as well as the other uh, pastors and leaders who will be speaking through this series, is to try and instill some practices that we can do together to pay more attention to this recovery process, to pay attention to living water, to enter into the promise of God and say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm thirsty. I need you. This simple exercise is called My Thoughts Versus God's Thoughts. And it operates in two ways, in two um, sessions. So the first is one minute of silence. And what I'm going to do is just get out my timer. We're going to spend one minute in silence. And we're just going to kind of slow down a bit. I know it is not the most silent place in this room right now. This is an all-ages kind of uh, atmosphere. So little ones, if you can listen up for a sec, do your parents a favor, love on them by just saying, hey, I'm going to be quiet for a total of two minutes, three minutes or so, um, and just give them a little bit of that space. And hopefully the music will help soften that up too. But let's try and be silent. And then I'll give you instructions what to do for the second minute. So let's take a minute now and practice a moment of silence. That was our first minute. I encourage you. You guys did a great job. The little ones, you did great keeping silent. That was wonderful. We're going to do this again, but this time in this minute, we're going to remember the invitation of Jesus to come and drink and to remember that God is with us. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. He is here in this room where two or more are gathered, he's there too. We are here in the presence of God. So in this next minute, I want you to imagine how God is near to you. He is here in this room to sit in the presence of God. He may whisper something to you. He may say something to you. He may just let you relax and enjoy his presence. But let's sit in the second minute in the presence of God.
Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And just for a moment of debrief, um, you know, maybe God whispered something to you. Maybe God spoke a reassurance to you. Maybe it was just the quiet. But if there is a word, can you just say it out loud, um, quick? If God said anything to you? You can just whisper. This is not for me, by the way. This is for you. <laughs> yes. Okay. I just want you to capture that and to remember that. That's the point. The importance is you can do this in your own space, in your own home, when you're with God. The first minute helps us to relax and to enjoy the silence. You may want to use a timer for that. But the second one of really realizing that God is here is to remember and to take hold of these promises, to remember the invitation of Jesus to come, to drink, to let your soul be refreshed, renewed, and to recover from the burdens of this life. Now, as we wrap up today, I have a few questions that you might want to take a photo of or later, or maybe just take that on there to help you kind of unpack and debrief what you've experienced today. friends, let's stand together. And let's recite our sending prayer. Loving God, through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship or discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus. Amen. Friends, go in peace. God be with you. We'll see you next time.